This is Dad at the Movies, where one lovable old father and one of his beautiful and talented adult daughters take a movie of his or her choice and discuss. I'm Dad, and Leia has joined me to discuss the 1989 classic, uh, classic? Uh, cult classic, Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery, 1989. So, yeah, this was my choice, um, but I feel like I should really say when I say that it was my choice... I wanted to watch Johnny English 3, which was nowhere anywhere near me, and then I wanted to watch Hunter Killer, which I actually did, but then that was only at 11 p.m. your time. Yes. Uh, that gives away the fact that we're actually in separate cities. So, uh, so yeah, last time we did Halloween, which got me talking to people, a friend of mine named Sarah, I was asking her, because she's a real freak about these kinds of things, I said... So what's your scariest movie? And she said, oh, my scariest movie by far and away is, is Pet Cemetery by Stephen King, which I had never seen it. So I just took for granted that a movie she saw when she was something like 12 years old, that she would have an accurate reflection of that, which apparently that's not how that works. Apparently when you're 12 and no. you see a scary movie... It, it could be Little Red Riding Hood or something, and you would think that was the worst horror movie that you'd ever ever seen. So I had uh, I think the that's same what I came experience to find out. with the movie yes. It. Well, I was telling my daughter that although she enjoyed the the new version of It, the old version of It was truly terrifying. And then to prove that, I pulled up a YouTube clip of uh, Pennywise the Clown, and it was garbage. <laughs> it, was, it was not scary at all, and I realized how cheesy it truly had been. It was only in my memory that it was terrifying. So I'm starting to think that every movie that was made in the 1980s was actually really garbage, and we've just forgotten that fact. So, Well, interesting you should say that, because after watching this film, I thought, what else was my, made in uh, 1989? And the answer were, was a lot of really good films. Batman. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Harry Met Sally, National oh, yeah. Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, uh-huh. a lot of uh, Ghostbusters 2. Okay. Yeah, lot those of films. aren't bad. Yeah. A lot of films. Okay. Um, so I guess it's upon me to, to am I supposed to do the, uh, give you the quick uh, rundown on the movie? I, Is I it my turn? So. Because it's, it's my choice. movie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I didn't know a lot of the setup. I just knew that there was something of a pet cemetery and that animals came back to life. And when they did, they were scary and nasty. And, and, uh, that is actually pretty much the description of the movie. You've got a young family, a father who's a, a doctor and his wife, uh, a slightly older daughter, and a really young toddler son. They moved to this little town in, I believe it's Maine, right? Uh, all the accents yes. were Maine. Uh, well, it's Stephen King, so it's it can only King. take place in Maine or Colorado. Those are the right. only two places where anything takes place. See, that's what I was thinking, too. So let's just say Maine. They moved to a town in Maine, and there is a busy road right in front of them, and across the street from them, there's another old house, and you have this uh, this character living there by the name of uh, Judd Crandall, which is, Judd Crandall is played by Fred Gwynn, and most people only know Fred Gwynn as Herman Munster uh, from the Munsters, and uh, I will just give away the fact. He was also the judge in uh, My Cousin Vinny. He was, Which is yeah. my husband's favorite film, so. Wow, that is crazy. He was also a Shakespearean actor. Did you know yes, that? Yes, I and did. Went to, and went to Harvard. Not surprising. 
That is, it's crazy. And then he was like uh, an author of children's books. So he wrote the moose. And a sculptor. The, the, and a sculptor. Yeah, so he, he was extremely yes. talented. And right off the bat, I have to say that the only thing that made this film watchable to me was the presence of Fred Gwynn. I thought he actually was like stellar, but he was stellar in the context of a movie that just really wasn't going very far. And uh, I don't think it was very well directed. I have to think a lot of it must have fallen upon the directing and the writing. So dare I say that I think Stephen King's... I'm getting way ahead of myself here in terms of critiquing the thing. But I, yeah, I love <laughs> Fred okay. Gwen. I thought he did great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they move in across the street from Judd Crandall. They, he takes them back into this... This place that's a pet cemetery tells them all about it. They kind of freak out. And then when the little girl's cat dies, Fred Gwynn introduces the father to a place just beyond the pet cemetery where animals come back to life if you bury them there. It's an old Micmac Native American burial ground, and uh, anything you put in there comes back. And, of course, thus a whole bunch of animals and people come back and it's not good it, we that goes without saying it's just that nothing about that is particularly good right so and that's i have the to say yes starting at the beginning with this film and what is so terrible about this film is that there is <laughs> so much foreshadowing that you yeah. you know the plot within I would say the first two minutes of the film, you have the entire plot figured out because they are just blasting in, you know, multi-story lights what is about to happen. Right. They're projecting everything. Don't you feel like uh, Stephen... Go, sorry. Oh, I was going to say that this film made me angry. And I had to actually examine what about this film made me angry. And it's just that everything about it is insulting. Like, I felt like this film... Uh just insulted my intelligence and insulted me as a human being by having to watch it. It, I swear to me, and and this goes for a lot of things that Stephen King does, I kind of felt like this was something you could have told in about a 10-minute campfire ghost story. Like the whole setup and everything. It's it's basically an Are You Afraid of the Dark? Right, it's an Are You Afraid of the Dark? story which was a nickelodeon show for children that is the level at which this was written directed and produced it when we first um watched the film when we when it came on i thought immediately oh this is a made for television movie and i actually had to go and look it up to realize that this was released in cinemas i think it's partially a difference between just how films are made now and how films were made in the 80s but this movie looks so cheap Yes. I looked at the budget. I, they said the estimated budget was $11.5 million. And I have to think that they spent $11.4 million on paying Stephen King for the movie rights to this film. Had because be. I don't see where any of this money was spent. These right. actors are yeah. all, te- with the exception of Fred Gwynn, they're all television caliber actors. The uh, director had produced some music videos at this time. Exactly. And that was it. <laughs> There's I know. There, there are like no special effects. It's just it's just insane. I I really you know honestly I think that that money went up uh, uh, King's nose. You know based on the time in his life that this was filmed. So yeah yeah exactly exactly. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, Denise Crosby, which is actually Bing Crosby's uh, illegitimate granddaughter from an illegitimate something with his son, but uh, I actually liked her in Star Trek Next Generation as Tasha Yar, and I always thought it was terrible that they killed her off, but she is really rank in this. It's just like you... Well, Again, maybe it was I have the director. To, I have to ascribe that to the fact that Stephen King cannot write for women. If you think you go. back on, and it's it is ironic because you know his debut book was Carrie, but honestly, he cannot write for women. He doesn't understand yeah. women. I'm not sure he's ever been in the same room as a woman. He writes them <laughs> in in such an asinine way that it just makes me want to punch him in the face. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. What, like, okay. So right at the beginning, when I knew we were in trouble with the acting, there was this scene where they've met their kindly neighbor. And I don't care. Fred Gwynn is not scary. That's the one thing. He's not menacing. And they ask him about this path. And he says, oh, I'll take you there. And he takes him to the pet cemetery. And all he, he, all he's doing is explaining what a pet cemetery is. And she gets all upset with him for telling her children about a pet cemetery. And I'm thinking, no human being does that unless they've got a personality disorder. Because honestly, this is your new neighbor. He's taking you on a walk. He's explaining the explainable. And you're getting like hyper with him. Like she gets this look on her face like, how dare you tell my children that animals die? It's like right. you're standing in a cemetery, well, lady. Part, I mean, this film is essentially about death and how we react to death. And I believe that we're supposed to be inferring that she's very co- uncomfortable around the concept of death. However, True. there is nothing that is likable about either of the main leads. There's nothing unlikable, or excuse me, there's nothing likable about the wife. There's nothing likable about the husband. I don't believe they ever have any dialogue between the two. Yeah. I mean, well, that is not... At the end. Entirely correct. (laughs) There is some dialogue, but there's, there's nothing... Most horror films try to establish a relationship between the two main characters because they want to make it painful when the gory grisly end eventually happens they want us to sort of root for these people i felt that there was nothing that they did to make us root for these two characters at the beginning of the film there um it's not established at all like i felt like it was such a jump and I had honestly had no idea what was going on. There is a uh, young university student who's been in some kind of accident. I believe right. somebody yells something about what happened to him. I did not catch it. Um, yeah. And half of his brain is kind of hanging out of his head. And, and everybody's rushing him into what I thought was a hospital. Turns right. out it was not a hospital. And there the, the main lead, the father, is the doctor. Yeah. And a nurse says to him basically like, ow. Oh, well, there's nothing we can do. We just have to let this poor bastard die. And he's he says, oh, well, we have to go buy the book on this one. And you assume that he's going to do something to save this young man who is still, in fact, alive. And as soon as everybody leaves the room, he sits down. He doesn't try to administer CPR. He's, he does nothing. He just sits down and kind of puts his head in his hands. And I'm like, wow, like you suck not only as a doctor, but as a human being. Um, yeah, and that was really what weird. is so ridiculous 
about that scene and why this movie I think is so insulting to us as the viewer is that this interaction between the main character and this young um, university student is then the university student's motivation this um, to warn the doctor about what is going to unfold and this university student really knocks himself out throughout the course of the film to try to save this very very stupid doctor i'm not sure you actually said as a ghost he tries to do as a ghost yes as a ghost i'm sorry i'm sorry but you know what I don't apologize for that because that is just the course of this film, that there are just things that are never explained and we're just supposed to fill in the blanks. Yeah, that seems true of most Stephen King stuff as well. Honestly, I feel like Stephen King may have, shock of shocks, may have a personality disorder himself. Absolutely. Like Asperger's or... He's like maybe like a, a sociopath because I'm not sure he understands normal human behavior. He understands how to set does. up a scary story, but he he doesn't seem to understand how people actually talk to each other. Yes, agreed. Well, again, if, if we're going kind of through this film, the university student dies. He shows up as a ghost in the doctor's home in the middle of the night, and he very carefully, uh, you know, explains to him that he should never cross the boundary of the pet cemetery. Go no further, right. you know, he Message says. received, or, let's just be done with happen. it right there. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. I feel if a ghost showed up in the middle of the night and led me out on an expedition and explained exactly where I was not supposed to go, I would, you know, understand that. I would I would follow that advice. I mean, clearly he's yeah. traveled a long way to tell me this information. But the he's doctor does a lot not trouble. do this. Right. Of not. Right. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah. Also, I want to point out He doesn't make any the, good decisions from that point forward anyway, so He he does not. But I want to point out this is something my husband mentioned. He's sleeping in scrubs. Now, I'm not really sure if with that $11.5 million budget, the costume department could not afford to buy him pajamas. But I don't know of any doctors that sleep in scrubs. Because you're not going to sleep in like the nasty scrubs that you spent all day in at the hospital that are full of germs and mucus and bodily fluids. And I you can't... Sleep in your scrubs and then show up at work because scrubs are supposed to be sterile, I'm pretty sure. Right. Or at least clean. Yeah. So why? Yeah. Why was he sleeping in scrubs? Uh, that had I not like occurred to, that. to me, I must admit. You're, you're, you're on to something there that I had not even considered because there were so many other glaring dumb things. But yeah, that's just <laughs> another example of where people just don't behave in a normal fashion. Yes. So, so uh, the next day the, after sorry. the ghost, mm-hmm. one more thing I want to point out. The next day after yeah. the ghost has appeared to him in the middle of the night, they hand the doctor the file of the university student. And his name is... Yes. Oh, what is his name? Gosh, I hang on. I don't... Uh, Victor Pascal. Pascal. Yes. So the doctor yes. receives the file... And he looks at it, and he kind of goes, huh, poor bastard, and he throws it away. He does, yes. 
Because back I'm in thinking, the 80s, they uh, just threw files away when they were done with dead people. They just threw them away. But I'm thinking, like, um, <laughs> wouldn't you need that file? Because it is, again, that 1980s, there's no copies. What if the medical examiner exactly. wants to look at the health records? What if the parents need them? Like, what the hell? <laughs> what is, why would you do uh, that? Was, that makes no sense. It was unbelievable. That was just oh. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. What about... Um, the the body count for the, for uh, animals and children, which are two well, of your big bugaboos. Yeah, so the cat in this film dies twice. Honestly, I thought this movie should be called uh, Negligent Par- Parents and Cat Owners. Um, True. Like, these parents suck. They suck. Like, they in do. the first... Yeah. Two minutes of the film, their three-year-old child is almost run over by a semi-truck. In that moment, any rational mother would have turned around and started screaming at the husband and been like, what What? What the hell? Like, why did you buy this house? Um, Did you, did you know about this road? Did you know about the fact that for some unknown reason, semi-trucks drive 70 miles an hour down this road? Why right didn't you install a fence? Yeah. I will not live here. Yeah. Like there is yeah. no, there is no reason for them to be not be upset or cautious, and yet they do just the stupidest things from that point on. And the, also, yes, and then when the sorry, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, then when the little boy does end up getting killed, it's by mm-hmm. it's the same road. It's it's essentially the same setup. Like, yeah, who. Who would allow... Yeah, it strains all credulity that... Also... We haven't got to the stuff that strains credulity yet. Yes, we won't even go yet to the the child. So, again, bad, bad pet owners. Their solution um, to trying to keep the cat from getting run over by a semi-truck is to get it fixed. First of all, why wasn't your cat fixed already? Like... Good point. you're You're a freaking doctor. You can afford to get your cat fixed also you know how cat babies are made like that is just that already makes me not like somebody if they don't get their pet fixed that is so irresponsible (laughs) i'm already okay with anything that happens to them from that point on um but i'm thinking um wouldn't the obvious answer be like don't let the damn cat outside like cats from what i understand are not like indoor outdoor animals for most people like most people who want to keep a cat alive don't let it go in and out but no Uh, not these people i don't know i don't know i i'm not a cat owner don't want to be a cat owner so i I have to just um yeah, remain agnostic on that one. But yeah, what about Zelda, the the sister who played a role, uh, that but didn't play a role? I mean, what was that about? What? Why was this Zelda, who by the way was played by a male actor? Which right, I felt like that was sort of cultural appropriation or something. It was intentional. But anyway, well. Um, yeah, it was actually, it's funny that you say that because I actually thought it was incredibly insulting to, um, people with disabilities. I mean, to make, to make this person who is clearly suffering like an object of horror. I believe that that character existed again, because the film is ultimately about death and about people's attitudes and, um, just kind of their discomfort with the concept of death. So I believe that that person yes. represented that for the yeah. the mother whose whose name again. I don't. I think it's a problem that I don't know anybody's name because I didn't care enough to figure out what their names were. But right, 
Yeah. yeah. Her name was Rachel Creed. Rachel okay, Creed. Rachel. Yeah. Rachel. So yes, Rachel's sister Zelda, which who you know what? Nobody names their, their children Zelda. There was just Unless Zelda they're a little princess and that was it. That lives in a fairy world with Link and they run around, you know, doing deeds right. of good and all that. Whatever I, that yes. was a horrible description of the Zelda series, but oh well. Anyway, right. no, she was freaky. So she, I thought yeah. if there was something scary or, you know, and I don't think it's really about fear with Stephen King, is it? It's more uh, disturbing. It's like he's he's not scary, he's disturbing. And so Zelda, as this character, is this creepy-looking, skeletal-like uh, sister with the bent back and the creepy voice and all that. It was just, like, so disturbing, but it wasn't frightening like an a, a really truly frightening horror movie would be. And I think this goes into why I hated Rachel's character so much is that here she has a sister who's in like significant pain. Right. And is dying and she has no love for her sister. She has no compassion. She has no right. empathy. Right. It's just very clear from the beginning that Rachel is a character who wants everything to be pretty and comfortable and easy. Yeah. And gets and punished she's not- for it. And she's not willing to do, for instance, like, she goes to Thanksgiving dinner with her kids, or excuse me, Thanksgiving, to visit her parents who hate her husband, and she leaves her husband at home. Yes. And then she kind of tries to make it out that he's the jerk for not coming with her when it's really clear later in the film that her parents are horrible people. Exactly. Like, and I know I'm jumping ahead, but does it really matter when her dad punches him out? Right. at the Punches funeral. It's and like, then that drop just kicks. doesn't happen. That's true. No, that's drop- not a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's and that is again, if we want to talk about how insulting this film is, and I do want to talk about how insulting this film is. <laughs> when the when the um in-law, I think his name is like either Mr. Goldblum or Goldberg. It's Goldman. Goldman. I yeah, I Goldman. thought it was a little anti-Semitic, but anyways, uh, that oh. this man is such a villain, um, and his name is Goldman. But he literally punches this man at his son's funeral, and then he, when the man falls to the ground, he starts kicking him in the ribs, and then when our main character is restrained, somebody, yes. you know, from from retaliating somebody yells at him what's wrong with you get to get yourself together man you're at your son's funeral yeah nobody would say that it's nobody like, would it's, say that nobody would say what's wrong with you, you people would be like, like yeah hey you, i get it i get it this guy just punched you at your son's funeral i want right. to kick him too yeah I, it's almost you know like you you think is it is that just the bad writing of stephen king who by the way not only wrote the book but the screenplay is it and his insisted, bad writing? Yes, it is. Or it is. Or did they do like a thousand takes, a hundred different ways, and then the guy was drunk that was editing, and he got the wrong takes confused no. and sort of smish. You know, no, it, it, like you no, said, it's just so I, wrong. I, it is very wrong. But Stephen King um, insisted on writing the screenplay, and he insisted that it, the screenplay was followed closely, and he was there at the filming. So. I do believe this is the ten year of one Stephen King. Yeah. He says this is like the only story he's written that actually scared him. So I don't know. Surely the movie I didn't do scare see him. that. Well, when I was watching this film and the semis that were driving so fast down the road, I thought this is a story written by somebody with young children. Like this yeah. is something that does strike fear in the heart of any parent of small children is the idea 
of of a kid running out into the road in front of a semi. So I, right, I do, yeah. Yeah, but natural fears in and of themselves do not necessarily make scary films. You see what Correct. I'm saying? Like, I mean, like a person can have a Absolutely. fear of heights, and it takes Hitchcock to actually exploit that into a good movie. But, right, it takes um, an artist with yeah, talent. Yeah, right. yeah. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I thought the kids act, act, the kid, the child actors were pretty good. Yes. I think they were just in a bad vehicle, but both of them went right. on. I mean, like, especially the, the young boy, um, he mm-hmm. went on to do a bunch of different, uh, different stuff. I don't, I think he's out of acting now. Miko Hughes right. or Miko Hughes. I think he's pretty much out of it as is the young girl, but both of them were admirably, um, good at at their roles for what they for what they were doing did you like the fight scene by the way with the little boy no did that i did not i thought no this movie is um just like you were saying it's not scary but it is gruesome and i don't know if that's something that is kind of um just from the 80s like just something that was of the 80s to be very gruesome yeah um for instance the Again, I can't remember his name. The university student with half of his brain hanging out. That continues oh, Pasco. the whole film. Pasco. Like yes, Pasco. As a as a ghost, he still has his brain hanging out in the fight scenes with the little boy. Um, yeah. He's like visibly like cutting people open and biting them, and it's just it's. I looked away because it was gross, but yeah. it didn't scare me at all. Yeah. At one point, you can see that they clearly throw a dummy. Like a doll. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's and so again, obviously I'm a thinking, doll, not a not a kid. Why why didn't they hire a little person, which is done frequently, actually. This is not me, yeah. you know, making stuff yeah. up. I mean, a lot of times they do hire little people as um, stunt doubles for children. Yeah. I or or find another way to, to imply the same information. But when you can very visibly see that it's a doll being like just tossed, it it does not have yeah. impact it was the 80s, except to man. make you laugh. It was the eighties. They got away with that. It was know. like Chucky or something like along those lines. Yeah. So, so uh, moving along, the, the the really unbelievable stuff all keeps building and and coming to a conclusion at the end. When you've got the dad who, um, despite all of these warnings, and despite the fact he'd brought the cat back, and the cat was, like, horrible. The cat... But let's be fair here. Let's be fair. The cat, the demon zombie cat, really just acted like a cat. Yes. Like, But he had glowing eyes. He had the glowing eye occasionally, but he really didn't act that bad. In fact, at one point, he... He kills a rat and he dumps it in the bathtub and Which totally cats the dad's do. all right. I actually thought, hey, that's kind of nice. Like he's sharing. Yeah. He's sharing. I wouldn't want rat. that to happen to me, but I mean, it's not like zombie from hell. I thought that there was going to be him hurting the little girl or yes. something. The other, that's... this is the the worst piece of dialogue, so I have to highlight it. Okay. It occurs with a cat because the cat is now, you know, a demon zombie cat. The little girl tells her mother that the cat smells and that she would like to get it shampooed. And the mother responds, oh, well, that would have to be done by a professional. I believe that would be very expensive. (laughs) What? I forgot about that You are a doctor's wife. You dress in designer clothing. If your cat smells like a bunch of dead butts... Like, 
You're not going to spend 40 bucks to get the cat shampooed? Are you kidding me? Like, what? why was that dialogue in the film? It didn't advance the the film. Yeah, the cat smelled, but why did you have to go into this weird dialogue about how you can only have a professional bathe a cat? And, oh, it's expensive. It's not, by the way. It's not expensive. It's very reasonable. Right, right. Couldn't you just hire another cat to come and, like, clean the cat? Don't they do that? Isn't that a thing? Cats clean cats or something? Or is that only dogs? I don't, I, to bring a dog in. I mean, the cat's in? visibly... He could resurrect a dog The cat's from visibly the covered in mud. Yes. I, I yeah, think so he would... Where I was going yeah. with this yes. was that... Not, so he gets this demon cat back, and he's heard right. the story about the, the, the soldier in World War II right. that they brought back to life who was incredibly upset for being brought back to life right. and goes around killing right. people and everything. Um, right. But he still thinks it's a good idea, despite the warnings from his neighbor, to right. bring what his son back to life. What you put in the ground isn't what comes back. Hey, not bad. Not bad. Yeah. And, uh, oh, my goodness. So, but he does it anyway. On, and of apparently course. they don't put... Apparently, they don't put caskets in concrete vaults in Maine the way they do that's in what, every other place in the world. That's what I said. Yes. That's what I said. Also, again... Insulting to our intelligence, why did he wait until after the funeral and after the child was buried? He already knew about this place. Wouldn't it have made yeah. the most sense for him to do it immediately? Yeah, like, like before the wife was even a hundred percent sure. Because yeah. like once you bring this dead toddler back that like everybody has seen put in the ground, like there, there's no. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it you doesn't got make any sense. to do at that point. But, yes. you know, if that was hard to grasp, if, if, if that was a stretch, the biggest stretch is after... Okay, before that even, though, is how quickly and readily he is to kill his kid and the cat. Like, okay, I made a mistake. I'm just going to kill them. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. I'm going to bring By my the way, wife again, back to life. Again, no reason to kill the cat because the cat's just kind of an asshole. That's yeah. it. Like, he's, he's just a cat. You know, like he's not even really that bad. Yeah, yeah, I would have killed the cat too, but probably would have killed it before he came back as a demon. So that's maybe not really something that helps define this. But uh, no, what was I saying there? I've completely now lost my. Okay, so Sorry. That, yeah, so um, he kills the kid and the cat. So he's, he's so to ready it. to kill them, but then yes, he decides. Oh, you know what? I should probably bring my wife back to life. Right. No, no, c- come on. Nobody believes anyone would do that at this. Right. This, he didn't even seem to like his wife that much. No kidding. That's what I'm saying. They did nothing, nothing for us to invest in the characters or their relationship. Even in the horrible film, The Conjuring 2, they spent five minutes of having the one character saying, um, I can't help falling in love with you. Yeah. There was to something the other. endearing. Yeah. Yeah, there was just this... to show just to show us how much they loved each other. There was no there was nothing in this film. Also, right. again, they've already established that this is a hike. Yeah. Getting out to this Indian burial ground, which is so problematic, and I don't know how they're going to do it in 2019. Right. Like, with just out, yeah, like how they're going to handle that problem. But how did he get his wife out there? I know, right? Like, just slung her over just, his back, I guess. I don't know, but 
I don't. But I then don't when think she walks back in, and she looks right. so incredibly gross. Yes. Like it's hard to explain just how awful she really looks. She has fluid leaking from her eye socket. Yeah, the eye socket's been almost everything's been cut away except just maybe the eyeball, and there's all this stuff flowing out of it. And then yep. they they get in a lip lock. Which, yep. At which point he is conveniently left a chef's knife just right yeah. at, at just right within his hand reach. That's how you do, right? It, you just it, leave it, knives it, all over your home. No matter all the experiences Especially you've when had with the demon evil. zombie wife is coming home. You're like, uh, hey, you know? Let's just leave it. She but may want to make she me a salad. Me. I don't know. I have to be prepared. <laughs> but again, Golly. she's never shown that she loves him throughout the right. course of the film. She's done virtually nothing to suggest that she does love him. Yeah. Yeah. Also, another it, problem Steve King that is I had with this film too, is... He just seems two-dimensional. Sorry. Uh, yeah. No, uh, this problem that I had with the film is that the guy whose get- name I cannot hold in my head for whatever reason, you, you say it because I can't remember it again. The, name the guy of, who died uh, at the very beginning of the film. Pascal. 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 So yeah. he, yes, Pascal, he's supposed to be this, you know, benevolent spirit, warning spirit, but ultimately his helping her actually leads to her death. Like yeah. he tries to get her back to the house but it's really too late and he never tells her like oh and by the way um your kid is now like a demon zombie child so like seems like that would have been helpful information yeah yeah nothing holds up nothing like you're just sitting the whole time going no i wouldn't do that no no nobody would do that there's got to be some level of plausibility i was speaking with my husband about this like when fred gwen takes the Mr. Creed, the doctor, the father, all of these characters that I've been referring to. Same guy, same guy. I just can't remember his name. Um, but Pascal? when Fred Gwynn takes him out to... Oh. No, the the oh. main character guy. Mr. The lead, Creed. Right. Dr. Creed, we'll call him. Yeah. When he takes Dr. Creed out to the accursed burial ground to resurrect the cat... I wouldn't have followed Fred Gwynn out there. Now, maybe I would because he's super charming and actually the only redeemable thing about that film. But, I mean, he was following a guy who had a pickaxe and a shovel out into the middle of nowhere. Yeah. After a ghost had told him not to do that. That's a good point. I mean, even if a ghost hadn't told me to do that, I might still be, like, wary of my, like, crazy tall neighbor that I just met who wanted me to come out in the middle of nowhere with him in the middle of the night with a pickaxe and a shovel. Like, he's going to murder me murder me with a pickaxe and then bury me with a shovel. I would think like, that. I just... Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I thought it was strange. Yeah. That's so. about that's about the end of that for me. I, I don't think I can say pretty much... Oh, there, there was one brief uh, thing worth mentioning. There's an actress by the name of Susan uh, Blummert. B-L-O-M-M-A-E-R-T, who is a key figure in the TV show Blacklist. And uh, when I saw her on the screen, I'm like, oh, oh, wait, wait, how do I know her? And then I realized afterwards she was actually quite good, but her character didn't seem to make any real sense. Like, was she the mother, or was she, was she the, the one that the, hung the, herself? The the right, housekeeper, right? Who just didn't fit into the plot line at all. Again, I think it just comes back to death. I yeah. think just the idea that that the whole film was about death. Yeah, which but. is that's really cutting edge 
edgy stuff for a horror film, you know, yes. to deal with death. That was yes. creative. Yeah. Also, as far as like other weird dialogue, when the mother, when Mrs. Creed yeah. is trying to call Dr. Creed and she can't get him on the phone, her mother says to her, you know how men are when they're alone. He's probably out getting a hamburger or chicken dinner. Because because that's what we do. I just... That sounded weird, wh- didn't what? it? What? A chicken dinner? Sure. I, I don't understand that. I mean, a hamburger or a pizza or even a hoagie or something, but a chicken dinner? Like, Isn't that what you feed him anyway? Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's just... I, I think Stephen King has a tin ear for dialogue. He I, does. I'm not yeah, sure he's it, ever heard human beings speak to each other. Right. It's honestly, if... He just has some creative concepts for ghost stories, and he can put a lot of words on paper. That seems to be it. I mean, I have read one Stephen King book that I thought was halfway decent, but for the most part, it just, yeah. Yeah, I'm no fan. Yeah. Well, I I think, have we done that to death? Sorry? No pun intended? I think so. I think we've already put more work into this than they put in the script, so. (laughs) That's a good one. I like that. Okay, well, we've put no work whatsoever into an official way of ending this, so let's just, uh, we'll say goodbye until next time. Uh, hopefully we yeah. can figure out a movie that, that the two of us can both see, given the fact that we're living in different cities at this time. So yeah, we'll, don't we'll forget what to that is next. rate, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can follow us on Instagram at Dad at the Movies. It's all one word, Dad at the Movie. Music by John Hansen. You can find him at John G. Hansen on SoundCloud. And the art is done by Gwen Unruh. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.